what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Foot Candle Films. I am Alan. I'm Chris Fry. How y'all doing? I hope they're doing well. I'm doing well. I'm ready to review some movies. We got some good reviews to do today. I think so. Actually, this should be kind of fun. Uh, This is Foot Candle Films. This is our film review show here on The Mesh, themesh.tv. Go back, spend the weekend, queue up all the old episodes, get caught up, (laughs) make sure you know what our thoughts were on all the other films we've reviewed throughout the last couple years. But today, we're focusing on some new films that are out there in theaters. We got two films to talk about in particular, two film reviews to give you today. Uh, First off, we'll be uh, talking about the film Hitchcock, followed by a review of Django Unchained. Uh, Then we're going to jump into some movie news and share a couple of movie news tidbits with you and and chew on those a little bit. Then we're both going to close out with a recommendation, a film that you can maybe find online or find through some sort of other streaming service that would be very easy to watch that that we think you ought to check out that you might enjoy. So that's our Foot Candle Films episode. That's what we're going to do today. And uh, just as a reminder, you can always learn more about The Mesh at themesh.tv. Check out all the other shows on the network, as well as all the episodes of Foot Candle Films that we've had as well. So with that, Chris, we're ready to jump into our first review? Definitely. All right. Our first review is the biopic Alfred Hitchcock titled, aptly enough, Hitchcock. All of us harbor dark recesses of violence and horror. I'm just a man hiding in the corner with a camera Watching Mr. Hitchcock, you're the most famous director in the history of the medium But you're 60 years old Shouldn't you just quit while you're ahead? This is murder I'm getting blisters just watching you He's going out of his mind looking for his next project I need something fresh Something different Our listeners remember, because of course, they do listen to every show. Every episode. Every episode. Multiple times normally. Yes. Yes. That we recently talked about Psycho, kind of a flashback episode for our Foot Candle Spotlight. And in that, you and I both liked the movie, Psycho, and you talked about how you are a Hitchcock fan. Yes. So, with this movie, obviously, it was about Hitchcock, but also about specifically him making Psycho. It was almost just perfect synergy there, wouldn't you say? I, I would say so. So, Alan... You being the fan, you being a fan of Psycho and of Hitchcock, are you a fan of Hitchcock the movie? Yes. Mm, There's a little hesitation there. It was a little hesitation, but not a whole lot. No, I am a fan of this film. I enjoyed it. But I do realize going into this that I'm a little more biased automatically towards it. Okay. I'm a sucker for films that talk about the making of films. Gotcha. I love behind the scenes movies about movies. Okay. I love Alfred Hitchcock. Gotcha. I love Psycho. So automatically, this could have been the worst movie ever made from a theatrical <laughs> standpoint. Okay. And I'm still going to enjoy it. Gotcha. Now, that being said, I do think it was a good movie. Not without its flaws. Not without some things I wish they had handled differently. Gotcha. But overall, I thought for someone to wanted to learn a little bit more about the character of Alfred Hitchcock, to learn a little bit more of the behind the scenes during the making of this film, 
I learned a few things I did not know about the making of this film. Overall, I give it I give it a thumbs up. I thought it was a good film. I enjoyed it. Uh, I would recommend it to anybody who has a fascination with filmmaking or enjoys the movie lore or some of the legends of an Alfred Hitchcock personality. I think it's worthwhile to check out. I thought the performances were pretty solid. Okay. Um, this is a film where Alfred Hitchcock's a very well-known personality. Yes. So it's not a matter of Alma Hitchcock. Anybody could have kind of played her any way they wanted to, and not many people would have been much the wiser. But <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock, you've got to nail it. Yes. You've got to be right on target or else everybody's going to throw stones at you the whole time. I think in general, Anthony Hopkins did a really fine job with it. Uh, there were a couple of times he slipped into his Hannibal Lecter uh, <laughs> tone of voice and mannerisms. That was a little distracting. That was a few of the times it brought me out of the film to remind my, me that this is Anthony Hopkins with a with a that fat did, suit on and with a with the jowls. That's um, interesting. It did bring me out a little bit, but overall, for the most part, I was able to completely lose myself in his performance. I thought he did a great job. Helen Mirren always solid. I, I didn't think her role in her performance was anything outstanding. Really? Yeah. I mean, it was it was wow. Helen Mirren. It was a Helen Mirren performance. I think she's kind of created a standard for herself where as long as she shows up on camera and she recites the lines and she puts the same energy she does in other roles, it's a good performance. Wow. Yeah, we could talk. There's one scene in particular that did jump out. I thought was really solid with her. And I think that's the one that I'm looking at. Yeah. Thinking, how can you? No, that one scene was <laughs> was perfect. It was a perfect scene that we'll get to in a moment. But overall, the rest of the performance, it was a good, solid Helen Mirren performance. Not anything I'm going to write home about. Hmm. The rest of the performances, we had Scarlett Johansson playing uh, Janet Lee, and visually, I thought she was spot on. I mean, she had the mannerisms down. She had the uh, the, the tone of voice down pat. Most of the other roles where they were pretty small, even, even uh, Johansson's role was a fairly minor role. We really spent all of our time with Alfred and Alma. So that was Helen Mirren, Anthony Hopkins. I'd say between the two of them, they're on screen 90% of the time. So, right. you know, you really got to buy into those two performances in general. Second time director, uh, this guy, uh, Sasha Gervasi, I think, uh, directed the documentary about uh, Anvil, the old 80s hair metal band, which I thought was a pretty good documentary. So I, thought, I haven't seen that. I'd be interested to see. Well, I, th- I thought it was a little of an overrated documentary. Oh, a lot of people okay. had praised it in other avenues. I watched it and thought, you know, it's a decent documentary, but it wasn't perfect. It wasn't gotcha. great. Okay. Um, so it was really interesting to see him go from a behind the scenes of an 80 metal band where they are now and kind of that behind the scenes documentary, real life stuff sure. to this behind the scenes of a making of a film, but with dramatic interpretation. So overall I enjoyed it, but I realize I'm also a very biased uh, observer of this film. So Chris, I'm actually probably more interested in hearing what you have to say because I know you're not as much the Hitchcock uh, a fan that I am and maybe not as big a fan of the film psycho. So not going in with quite those high expectations. What did you think of the film? I, I was surprised by the film. Um, and basically I think the reason I was surprised was I was expecting from the previews and from what I've been told, I was expecting more of a historical film. Okay. And that's not what this film was at all. No. But the way it was done and the way it was set up, you knew from the opening moments or shortly thereafter the opening moments that this was going to be a little different. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to ruin anything because I actually think it was really cool how the movie was framed. 
Mm-hmm. And I want to leave that kind of vague for people who might see it and because I want them to be able to enjoy it like I did because I was kind of thrown off by how it was happening. But let's just say there's an opening moment and a closing moment that are staged very true to how I think, mm-hmm. very true to a Hitchcock manner. Yes. And that immediately took me all out. I was like, whoa, what what is going on here? But I respected that. And it also set a tone for the rest of the film that didn't always stay true, but somehow that juggling nature of, I think there were aspects of uh, humor in there. I think there were aspects of just the drama of making a film, Mm -hmm. but then there was also, and this was the unexpected part that is actually my favorite part of the movie was the relationship drama Mm -hmm. that I was not really thinking would be like a major part of the movie, but it really was. That's what this movie was to me was a relationship drama. Normally movies like that. I don't get into yeah. Um, they're not interesting to me and they're just so many of them that they seem formulaic. And when I mentioned formulaic, <laughs> Alma Redville, actually Hitchcock's wife, she at one point says when he's trying to make psycho, she's like, Oh, that's just, you know, horror claptrap. That's just, and he's right. like, yeah, but what if a really good director were to make a horror movie? Mm-hmm. Well, to me, this movie is what if an okay director, cause there are some problems with the movie, but what if a, good screenplay is out there and some really good actors make a relationship drama. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think this was because it is not, it could be claptrap like hope Springs that came out with Meryl Streep and Tommy Lee Jones, older couple struggling to <laughs> relate to one another. They go to a therapist. Ah, oh, I mean, I have not seen the movie. I was going to say, you just called it claptrap without actually seeing that, it. No, yeah, that's, so. true. <laughs> that's true. Um, I have not seen it. But I have read reviews of it and I have heard people talking about it. And to be fair, yes, I guess I should see it. But I think you know where I'm going. Yeah, I do. And so this movie is the film snobs version of Hope Springs. And it worked for me on many levels. I I did not expect that. That's great. Well, you you brought up something that I was going to bring up as well as far as what I thought was probably the biggest strength of the film for me is that, yes, the framing the beginning and end framing, and then there's several moments throughout the film that apply a very unique technique to the biopic Yes, that I thought were very well done. And honestly, Chris, answer me this. If that element wasn't there, in other words, the film opens and it's a true biopic from, from frame one, very traditional biopic. It did not have that framing. It did not have those uh, dream sequences throughout the film. Would this, would this film have rated as high with you? It's it's hard to say mm-hmm. um, because I really I responded to that element, but equally I really responded to that whole um, the relationship. relationship drama thing yeah. that I wasn't expecting to really do that. So I probably wouldn't respond to it as much because I thought that was a really creative use yeah. of flashbacks, I guess, in a way you I, could say they yeah. were. So. I'm with you. When the film opened in the first opening scene, your first thoughts are, uh, uh, okay, I'm not expecting this at all. <laughs> and it was really good. And then the way it ended was really good. Mm-hmm. Minus the obligatory text on the screen to tell you what's happened afterwards. That There again, I don't ever see the well, point for that okay. in these films. I, but. I know, I know. And a lot of times it, you know, everybody knows who Alfred Hitchcock yeah, is. Yeah, nobody needs to need know any that any how thing. many more films he made after Psycho well, and all well, that. Okay, okay. But... Even though, you know, this is Chris, who's usually the art house snob and doesn't like things that are formulaic, I will have to say, because of the relationship drama, I appreciated that they kind of gave a closing note on his career. Yeah. And when he got an Oscar, basically, and it gave a and it mentioned what he said in his speech, and that kind of closed the loop on the relationship with his wife. It was, to me, I mean, I I get what you're saying about the text, and it's kind of like a groaner type thing, but because of the relationship drama that had played out, 
I appreciated that. You know, the film that I think this had a lot more in common with, as far as a biopic goes, a biopic that I did not enjoy as much, hmm. uh, Walk the Line, uh, oh. the Johnny Cash one. Okay. Because there again, that's a biopic that, yes, you're hearing about Johnny Cash's life, but really the movie was about his relationship with June Carter Cash. Got you. To me, you're exactly right. The relationship of this this couple, yes, in any other traditional biopic, it would have been a subplot that got dangled along occasionally throughout the film. But more and more of it would be, is Alfred Hitchcock going to be successful or is he not going to be successful with this attempt of making a film? Right. In this movie, yes, that was the subplot. The main plot was, do Alfred and his wife have a good, healthy relationship and is it going to continue <laughs> to be healthy in the future? Right. That's the main question you wanted to know by the end of this film, not was Psycho going to be successful? Because that, to me, was really more of a subplot and I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Like you said, the relationship really did get elevated in this film a lot more than I think your traditional biopics are. So with that, I would agree. And I think one of the problems probably in marketing this movie was they didn't really know which way to go. And I think that's one of the reasons not a lot of people have seen Hitchcock. It's a smaller movie, you know, it was released to art houses. And I think they didn't know whether to make it. They didn't make it as a historical piece. You know, I mean, it has history in there, but it's more of a relationship drama, Mm -hmm. but then it has elements of humor and they didn't, they didn't know how to market it. And I think that probably it suffered because as you've mentioned, it has Helen Mirren. It has Anthony Hopkins. It has Michael Stuhlbarg. I mean, it just has a huge cast, Tony Collette and uh, Scarlett Johansson. I mean, it has all these names, all of which I thought did awesome jobs. Okay. So it's like, well, why isn't this wider scene? Well, we talked about it a little bit at the screening last night with our, our Film Society membership. And I mean, I think, that, I think there is a general understanding that a film about the making of a 60-year-old film is a tough sell. In the marketplace, um, you know, unfortunately, we've got a younger generation that's probably not anywhere as connected with Alfred Hitchcock as we were in generations before us. True. Um, Psycho, not revered, revered as the horror classic by younger generations, maybe as it has been for older. So making a film about the making of an old film is a tough sell. It's just a very tough sell in today's marketplace, no matter how many stars you throw at it, I'm afraid. True. It's a shame. It really is a shame because this is a good movie. And this is a much more entertaining biography picture than I think most biography pictures get to attain. And it was, yeah, and they, they tried things in an interesting fashion that you and I have talked, the bookend yeah. thing yeah. that they tried to do in the flashbacks. It was much more interesting than your typical bio. All I'll say with that, not there again, trying to keep away from spoilers, but his inspiration for wanting to make Psycho his next film, he constantly gets visits from that inspiration throughout the film at different key points in the story. Yeah. And through dream, dream sequences or other kind of strange uh, little mental imagery. It was well done. I agree. That was the part that really elevated this to a very interesting film to watch, not just, oh, let's rehash all the details we know about the making of this film. Right. And you, that was another satisfying, not to slight the history part of it, because that is, you know, obviously it's there. And for me, it was really fascinating to see what you would term as Alfred Hitchcock's struggle with trying to make a movie. He is successful, but he has somebody tell him no. Yeah. And he's been an artist and he's like, okay. I don't care. I'm going to make this movie. And he yeah. you know, doesn't spoil anything. He backed Psycho and then his struggle with worrying whether or not it was going to be a success. And it's just, even though watching the movie, you know how Psycho is going to turn out. Sure. But that doesn't, that doesn't 
eliminate the drama that you get to see played out on screen. It doesn't eliminate my satisfaction in watching how it played out. So. If I could throw out one more positive and one more negative on the film from my perspective. <laughs> uh, the positive is this was a very brisk film. It mm-hmm. wasn't a two and a half hour long biopic movie. Okay. Uh, the scenes moved quickly. Yeah, uh, It didn't dwell too long. I never thought it really lost a lot of momentum. Agreed. The humor helped uh, really kind of keep the film going, too. There were a lot of very good humorous moments, a lot of great lines. It moved quickly from scene to scene. Uh, the parts where they could have really drawn out and stretched out, they didn't. They said, all right, we got it. Move on to the next scene. Almost much like Hitch's directing style. That was much the way he directed as well. It's like, got it. Let's move on. Next scene. I kind of felt like they adapted a little bit of that in there as well. Um, and even the music. The music they piped in was very similar to the music Hitchcock would have used in his own scoring. Danny Elfman doing the score, right. which I thought worked really well with this uh-huh. too. Love Danny Elfman. Yeah, so, yeah, it was a good fit there. The one thing, very, very minor point, this is probably coming more from me than anybody else. Uh, as I mentioned at the society discussion last night, you know, I know all this information about the making of Psycho. I've read up so much about all the little stories, interesting trivia about it. At times I felt like this movie was almost trying to prove how much they knew about this this behind the scenes making by dropping in little tidbits of trivia that really had no impact on the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. It was almost just a matter of saying, ooh, look, we're going to throw in this little trivia bit. And oh, look, we're going to throw in this piece. For example, uh, it's commonly known that Psycho was one of the first American films to ever show a toilet. Gotcha. Let alone to ever show a toilet flushing. Alfred Hitchcock and the screenwriter were so adamant about making sure this toilet and the toilet flushing was shown in the film. They wrote it into the screenplay to make sure it was such an integral plot point that it had to be in there. Now, this scene, this discussion about this bathroom toilet in the film really has nothing to do with the relationship of oh, Alfred and Alma. I, it had nothing to do with the... Oh, man. I, the much bigger picture. I, I think it was just more of a matter of let's drop in a little piece of trivia and let people know, ooh, look how much we know about the making of this film. That bugged me a little bit because it happened more than more than a few times. It was almost scattered throughout little these little nuggets of trivia just to almost say, look how much of we know about the background of this film. Where I just didn't think it really played into the overall story that we were trying to follow. I mean – Hello, Coca-Cola. I'm Pepsi. I couldn't disagree with you more. Actually, I find um, Coca-Cola and Pepsi very similar. But anyway, <laughs> go ahead. I know where you're going with this. I was trying to do it. Yeah. Not a political thing. I understand. Thing. Yes, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I couldn't disagree with you more. Hmm. That scene to me showed Alfred Hitchcock's playfulness and something that his struggle to make a piece of art. He's going up against a ratings board. This movie had lots of trouble with that mm-hmm. <laughs> for many reasons. Right. And he was like, nope, I want that in there. Like, oh, and like that showed with me a little of that. And he ended up. Yeah, it was, I don't, well, there again, I don't want to spoil anything, but there was kind of a tug of war going back and forth, like cut this out, put this yeah. in, cut this out, put this in. And that was when he had a, he had an immediate mm. defense for, I, I don't know. I, I felt like it was justified and it made it work. The fight with the censors, I totally appreciated because there again, the amount of violence and potential nudity in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a, that's absolutely critical to the trials and tribulations of making the film. It was more of those little trivia nuggets, the things when you pull up IMDb and you look at the trivia list. I almost felt like they were trying to check off as many of those trivia items to drop in the, the hmm. film as possible. That was just – it bugged me a little bit. Not enough to say it hampered my enjoyment of the film. Just something to say that, you know, I think sometimes these these making of films maybe go a little too far trying to be clever with all the trivia they can cram into a film when it's not always necessary. Hmm. That's just me on that. So, well, the only, don't I have, I think I actually, which maybe surprises me, I think I like this film more than you. Um, the only two minuses I would say 
um, is, and it's nothing a follow the film. I think it's merely budget probably. Mm-hmm. There's been another time our listeners will have to email in and tell me what it was when I talked about somebody's makeup and it being distracting for me. Hmm. I can't remember when I've mentioned that in recent history, but sometime I mentioned that. I actually thought Alfred Hitchcock, Anthony Hopkins' uh, makeup was distracting. And uh, in a couple scenes. Was, not that it was poorly done. I mean, he looked like Alfred Hitchcock. But sometimes because of camera angles and stuff, like I said, this is very nitpicky, but I thought it actually made the makeup look bad. There and were a couple scenes. There were a couple of scenes where it was bad. And so there it made me kind of wish, like, I wish he had just been wearing a fat suit and they would have done not a whole lot with his face. It was the face well, that I was having. You gotta, with Alfred Hitchcock, you got to do the face. It was face. the face yeah. that I was having problems with. Right. His, the rest of his body was fine, but something about, like, his jowls basically yeah. were looking weird at certain angles. And that's the other minor nitpick, which is probably a budgetary thing. Um I didn't like the fact that there were so many shots. There was a two shot, but you were looking at the back of somebody's head and like Helen Mirren would be delivering dialogue to the camera. And then they would show you Anthony Hopkins delivering dialogue and you just see the, the reverse shot. Yeah. You see the reverses. Those reverses, there were so many of them. And I think it was budgetary because they didn't want to have to, they basically did a wide shot with both actors actually there. And then they would have body double stand in for Anthony yeah, Hopkins. Probably so. so it doesn't use up his time. And then it, they did that so much that it really distracted me because you could tell like it didn't actually look like Anthony Hopkins, the back of his head. And like, I saw a little bit of that. And actually sometimes the shots didn't even match up. Like the hand would be in one position or the person that you're looking over the shoulder. And then you cut to the reverse shot and they're not in that position. I, that actually, I'm normally pretty good at overlooking that. This actually jumped out at me in this film a little bit. I agree. Yeah. And it could be there again, first dramatic film directing by this, probably a tighter budget, probably, uh, you know, not getting as much support, obviously, from marketing everything. It hasn't gotten anywhere near the support to market this film. Right. That's very possible. It's budget in his first time director in a dramatic uh, film like this. So sure. um, overall, no, I enjoyed it. I really did. It's just there again. I come into it with a very defined set of expectations. Got you. For the most part, it was a very entertaining, good film. I enjoyed it. Couple minor misgivings for me couple things with it but overall you know i enjoyed it i really did like it uh i'm i'm really hard on biopics so for this one to come out unscathed (laughs) by me and say that i actually enjoyed it as a biography picture is saying something for sure okay great so hitchcock i wish i could say go out and see it in your theater like right now but i'm afraid it's probably not going to be there Um, got nominated for makeup yeah just makeup so So, uh hunt it down if you can it's worth seeing but if not wait a few months it'll be on dvd definitely worth it's worth checking definitely worth checking on dvd absolutely all right well let's move on to our second review then okay you ready for that chris sounds good second review django unchained do you know what a bounty hunter is you kill people and they give you Better. They are bigger the reward. I'm looking for the Riddle Brothers. However, I don't know what they look like, but you do. <laughs> they called my wife. They sold her. But I don't know who to. Calvin Candy. That's the repelling gentleman who wants her. In my world, you gotta get dirty. So that's what I'm doing. I'm getting dirty. What's your name? Django. D-J-A-N-G-O. The D is silent. So, Chris, we have a new Quentin Tarantino film. Yay! I know. Now, we just need to go ahead and go on record. You and I are big fans. Yes. 
Um, I can still recall going in 1994 to go see Pulp Fiction at the Carolina Theater. I believe it was 94. Okay. Uh, yeah, downtown Hickory. Um, back then, I'll give credit, the Carolina Theater has improved greatly over the last 10 years. But back in 94, the film-going experience not the most stellar. Projection, sound, everything sure. else. In a way, it actually kind of helped my enjoyment of Pulp Fiction because it gave it a true pulp feel to watching. I can see that, that. was really my first theatrical experience with Tarantino because I never saw Reservoir Dogs in the theater. That didn't even come anywhere around here gotcha. in a theatrical run. So getting to see Pulp Fiction 94 on the Carolina Theater screen in a very awesome. pulp setting was great. Yep. And I was with a whole row of friends. We had a blast. Ever since then, I've been a big Tarantino fan. Now, I will say... My enjoyment of Tarantino fans has actually exponentially grown over the years okay. to where even though I enjoyed Pulp Fiction, it was a little let down by Jackie Brown. We'll come back to that. Okay. I really liked Kill Bill parts mm-hmm. one and two. Mm-hmm. Really liked Inglorious Bastards. It's actually my favorite of his films and probably it was my favorite film the year it came out. Sure. So as you can see, my curve has grown with my enjoyment of his films since my first experience. That being said, there's been a lot of parallels drawn between Django Unchained and Inglorious Bastards. I can understand that. And I'm very curious on your thoughts on that. But Django Unchained, we do have, let me just kind of back up for those of you who maybe have been living under a rock for a while and don't know anything about this film. <laughs> Jamie Foxx plays Django, a uh, slave at the beginning of the film who, I'm um, not spoiling anything, this happens in the first 10 minutes of the film, is freed. Or bought by a uh, Dr. King Schultz, which is awesome. kind of nice little pun on the name there. Yes. Someone who frees him, buys him, frees him. Well, not buys him, but acquires him. Acquires him. <laughs> That's a good yes. way we'll put it. Yes. Acquires him and makes a deal with him that he's going to help him. He needs help being a, a bounty hunter and an assassin, basically, uh, to collect bounties on people. And in exchange, if he does this, he's going to help him be a free man. And then they also get involved in a plot to go try to help free Django's wife, who is a slave at a candy land, which is the name of Mr. (laughs) Calvin Candy's uh, uh, plantation, uh, played by Leonardo DiCaprio. We've got Christoph Waltz playing Dr. King Schultz, putting much of the same energy, enthusiasm, and charm that he did for Inglorious Bastards, but he's now playing a good guy this right. time. Nice little change. We've got Kerry Washington playing Broomhilda. Again, another great name, uh, which is Django's wife. We've got Samuel L. Jackson playing Stephen, who I plan to talk about quite a bit during this review. Uh, so we've got a really interesting eclectic cast here. A very controversial subject matter. Sure. Typical Tarantino, a bloodbath at certain places. Humor, violence, all kind of melded together. Mm-hmm. My question to you, Chris, is a very, very simple one. Okay. Did it work? It worked for me. I liked it. You um, liked it? it? it yeah, yeah, I liked it. I okay. Liked it. All right. Like is not a terribly strong word. Are you saying you liked it or loved it? No, I liked it. Okay. Um, all right. I, Interesting. I liked it. And, you know, it's having come off Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Um, it would have been hard to measure up to that. Because sure. I, I do like, I, like you, have exponentially grown you know, mm-hmm. a bigger, bigger fan of uh, Quentin Tarantino. Like you, I disliked Jackie Brown or wasn't that far. 
I went back and saw it recently in preparation for yeah. going to see Django. Okay. And that was very hard for me to say Django. For some reason, even though they bring it out in the movie that it is Django, the D is silent. <laughs> I constantly, when talking about it with my wife, I'll go like, the Django. She's like, the D is silent. I'm like, yes, I know. <laughs> I don't know why. I just keep I think it's just mentally you like to set it up to where your wife has to say, the D is silent. That could, that could be. That could be. <laughs> the but, Django. That's the great. Django. But um, I went back and watched Jackie Brown, and I really like it now. okay and as a matter of fact it's like probably it's like number two probably it's wow. over it's like yeah inglorious bastards that then kill bill Sorry. i probably need to go back and give it another crack but um, with, the, with this movie i liked it something um there the minuses jamie fox django the character something about that was kind of thinly drawn for me not that and i'm not I think I'd have to blame it on just the the screenplay on the Tarantino writing of that particular part. It just something about it felt very hollow, and I didn't really buy into some of the what the character was saying. I don't I don't know. Just that character, which it's the movie's named after him, didn't really work for me. Hmm. But what did work for me, and it's not a surprise, Christoph Waltz <laughs> playing Dr. King Schultz. He is amazing i was so happy when he won the oscar for inglorious bastards he's been nominated for king schultz don't know if he'll get it but you know he is just he's amazing i read a review Mm -hmm. or an interview with quentin tarantino where he was talking about when he was working on inglorious bastards and he worked with uh, christoph waltz he just really liked their chemistry yeah and he started writing Django Unchained <laughs> and he made a point there was not a German person in, a bounty hunter in this movie to begin with he put him in there oh, well, I think it's a brilliant he movie. wanted to work with Christoph Waltz and I'm like through Quentin Tarantino has found a muse in Christoph yeah. Waltz and like dude your dialogue coming off his tongue is awesome yeah no it really is now that brings me to another minus. well if I can just mention again right. on, Doc, on, on, on Christoph Waltz sure. and his performance there sure it's fascinating when you really look at this in conjunction with Inglorious Bastards, the two performances. In a way, the character's very similar and the dialogue style is very similar. It's almost like if you were to take his character from Inglorious Bastards and say, all right, let's pretend that all of a sudden we could transform this guy into a good guy. Hmm. That's in a way what we get with this character. I mean, it, I love the performance. Absolutely love it. It is very much a similar note to the the character he played uh in Inglorious Bastards, I think, from a style standpoint. Not from a purpose or intent, but from a style standpoint, very similar. Uh, it's just the way I see it. I loved it, though. I love this performance. but, but. I'd Actually, I think I would say I love both performances. I would actually say it's a little more nuanced than Inglorious Bastards, and I like mm. that performance. Inglorious Bastards, what was so amazing when I got the Oscar, just like Hannibal Lecter portrayed by Anthony Hopkins, it was like pure evil. Yeah. It was watching this person like, wow, that is so crazy and in this movie you know he's not playing pure evil obviously he's a good guy but he's struggling with things he seems conflicted about some things and he's See, he's more nuanced to me i thought his role in inglorious bastards is actually pretty nuanced as well because huh. even though he was pure evil oh man it was a it was a constant his head is constantly recalculating things mm. in the end his only thing he wanted out of life was his own satisfaction got you so even though he may come across as a very strong advocate of the Nazi army, in the end, eh, he wasn't really. He'll do whatever, <laughs> you know. So I thought that was a fascinating role to be playing. He's the typically the pure evil guy is unwavering. This is his goal. This is what he wants. And with uh, his with Landa, it was more of a okay. This is what I want, but yet 
let me recalculate because things have changed. Now I want this instead. And now I'm going to go this direction. So mm-hmm. anyway, I thought both were wonderful roles. Christoph Waltz is a joy to watch in any of these uh, Tarantino films right now. Yes. Completely agree with you on that. Yes. All right. So what didn't work for you in the film other than you said, uh, you said Jamie Foxx is a little thinly uh, fleshed out character. Thinly you thought. fleshed out. Yeah, that's okay. what I thought. I also did not really care for Sam Jackson. Really? No. Oh, we're um, going to have some words. And I don't know whether it was just the fact that Tarantino wrote the dialogue for him. And I think Jackson has been amused for Tarantino in the past. And I'm like, dude, leave, you know, he's done your work. Leave nah, him behind. Nah, he you're was so great wrong. in Jackie Brown. But I, something so about wrong. this. And actually also the makeup on Sam Jackson, maybe if it wasn't, something about how he looked in this film. Yeah was off to me no. too. He just looked weird. He was, to oh me. gosh. Okay. Yeah. I'll get to that in a second. So, <laughs> um, what else, what else? What'd you like? What'd you didn't like? Um, okay. So, well, let's see. I mean, random other things that I didn't like, which just keeps it from being inglorious bastards level, I guess. Um, the Jonah Hill cameo. <laughs> what, it, what's up with that? I mean, put yourself <sighs> in, Chris. have yeah. a cameo in a movie, but you don't need to have a close up and a cam. Like it was just, uh, it was just. I'm just letting you get. I'm was, just letting you get all this out of your system before was, I just tear it apart. It was ridiculous. So go ahead. It was ridiculous. It okay. was absolutely ridiculous. Right. No reason for it to be there. Mm-hmm. He didn't even have the main dialogue in that scene. If he mm-hmm. had, or been one of the two people doing the main dialogue, mm-hmm. that would have made sense. But no, he just. And there were close-ups where he wasn't even speaking on mm-hmm. him, just because he was Jonah Hill. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous. Okay. Um, so yeah, didn't care for that. All right. Um, what something else, you else got? that would probably benefit from a second viewing of the film, mm-hmm. but it just kind of confused me. Maybe you'll have an answer and a group of henchmen workers on the plantation at mm-hmm. Candyland. There is a female. Yes. Okay. A female cowgirl who has a bandana over yes. her face. I didn't really understand what that was all about. And I thought there was some misdirection because at various points, Django sees <laughs> visions of his wife. Yes. And I thought maybe at the end of the film, I was like, oh, well, maybe that character really never was there. And that was her just for some reason also showing up with mm-hmm. these outlaws. But then I think she was there because there's a shootout scene. that kind. Of, so I didn't really understand what was that. And I, I thought maybe it was a really lazy attempt, lazy attempt at some misdirection, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. Didn't, didn't like that. Um, but outside of that, <laughs> I loved the film. No, I didn't love the film. I liked, I liked the film a lot. Okay. So I'm making notes of everything you just commented oh my on. Okay. Okay. So let's go ahead and uh, knock these things out really quickly. How about sure. we do that? Okay. First off, the character of Django. Yeah, he was thinly drawn. That wasn't the point. He was a catalyst for these things to happen. But the main focus was not Django in this movie. It's all the characters around him helping him succeed this goal. So I didn't care how deep a character he was his motivations were pretty darn rock simple I just wanted to be interesting yeah but i thought he was interesting <laughs> it's like yeah here's a guy who you know he was a slave he gets freed he it's shown that he actually has a really good uh, penchant for uh marksmanship and he's a good uh shoots a gun pretty well but there again he's not the one we're we're really caring about in all this i mean it's everything that's affecting this 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 mission this journey so he, we don't care about him we do who care about him okay. but we don't need it to be any deeper than it is I didn't need his role to be any more fleshed out than it was. I knew everything I needed to know about this guy in the first 15 minutes of this film. Hmm. Secondly, Sam Jackson, you're completely wrong. Uh. That, that, that role, <laughs> that performance, brilliant, scary as hell. Brilliant? Yes. Wow. Now, I know he's playing Sam Jackson. Okay, oh, I know that. God. 
He's Sam playing Jackson. unbreakable. He's playing the glass character. Oh no 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 oh. no 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 no! <laughs> That's what his makeup looked like, actually. Well, maybe the makeup did. <laughs> Sam Jackson. Yes, he was playing Sam Jackson on steroids. It's uh, let's throw out as many uh, the cursing, the, the vile language, like the guy in Unbreakable. But I tell you, <laughs> this role was creepy. Okay, because you know it's just when you sit back and think about it, this was the guy he plays Stephen, who is the the head slave at yes. Candyland. Yes. Now, if you you know understand kind of what the culture was like at that time the idea of the head slave who got preferential treatment and actually would be looking down on the other slaves was really like hated at that time by of course those that were slaves and african-american community and all sure it was a real bad situation but he played this thing to the tilt where leonardo dicaprio is the one we're supposed to be scared of i was more scared of steven by the end of the film because i'm sorry this guy was just creepy Wow. Let's, yeah. let's, let's get to DiCaprio, actually, because we've... Well, no, no, I'm not done oh, refuting okay. your point okay. yet. Okay. So, you're wrong about uh, Stephen, uh, Stephen, the character of Stephen by Sam Jackson. Let me check that off the list. Okay. Jonah Hill, you're wrong on that, too. That was funny. What? That was funny. That was, I'm no. sorry. That was funny. It was funny. That, the, 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 the scene was funny. The KKK the scene was hilarious. was not And I funny. think just him dropping in a cameo is like, oh, how funny is that? You know, why how not? How dumb is that? Why not have fun uh. with it? Oh, it's fun. All right, check that off. And then the bandana character. Okay, this is a typical Tarantino thing. Yes, he wrote in a character that probably in the first draft of the script had a much more of a subplot character to him. This is pretty typical with him. He has a much broader, longer storyline for his whole film. Do you understand what I mean? About oh, no, yeah, I understand. Direction? It was a little odd. A couple times yeah. they showed her. They showed a real close-up of her face. Like you were supposed to get something yeah. about her. Like, I, I get the impression that in a earlier draft, she probably had some sort of purpose. And maybe I think he's getting into comic books and novels as a spinoff of this character's world. I'm sure she's going to play some sort of role. So it's a little odd, but knowing Tarantino like we do, there's a reason. There's a reason for her character to be the way she was. And I'm willing to give him that. So. Uh, okay, that was a minor, a right. minor complaint. Yeah, I will say right off the bat, I did not enjoy this as much as Inglorious Bastards. At times, it came really close. But it still was, if I had to put the uh, trophies, the medals at the medal <laughs> ceremony on the Tarantino films, Inglorious Bastards is still standing up there with the gold. Okay. This one is batting around the silver and bronze category for me. I'm pretty comfortable with that. Okay. I really do like Kill Bill. Kill Bill Volume 1 was still probably, that was my favorite Tarantino film until Inglorious Bastards came out. So right now, Django is batting somewhere in the Kill Bill category for me, hmm. as far as quality-wise. I really enjoyed it. Yes, was it very similar to Inglorious Bastards? Absolutely. It was almost a companion piece, almost like let's take the movie and apply it in an alternate universe, and that was this film. Sure. Um, but I liked it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was uh, very entertaining. I actually think from a style standpoint, it was the least Tarantino film Tarantino's ever made. Mm. And I say that not because of the violence and the gore and the profanity, because that was definitely Tarantino. Visually, though, there was a lot less going on outside of a traditional filmmaking experience with Django Unchained. I would agree visually, wouldn't it? But visually, that's the only thing that I didn't feel was like Tarantino. The dialogue was Tarantino. The music was Dial- totally oh, Dialogue, Tarantino. music, and the violence and and, gotcha. and all that. Yes, was very much Tarantino. But think about Inglorious Bastards, how there were some really interesting visual flourishes he put in there. True. The um the uh the scene where uh Melanie Laurent was applying makeup yeah. and uh, getting ready for the theatrical yes. um uh, film screening, that was a very kind of 
odd visual thing. There was a couple cutaways where some of the Nazis were talking and all of a sudden you cut away for them having sexual encounter with a woman just for like a brief 10 seconds and then come back. There was nothing really like that in Django. Nothing that was really just like odd. You know, you look at it and it was a very strange visual experience. So from that standpoint, I do think it was his most I dare say mainstream film, which is odd to say, but it really was his most accessible film for somebody coming into it blind. Um, so I really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I did think there was a couple things that didn't work for me as as well. I I really did not like Quentin Tarantino's role at the uh, end of the film. It was bad. Well, okay, okay. He here's, plays a here's how I can overlook. ten minute scene at the end. He plays a Australian or something, yeah, Irish, be, yeah. something, horrible accent, Here's how horrible I can overlook role, yeah. that yeah. when I can't overlook Jonah Hill. Okay. Quentin Tarantino has been in others of his movies. He yeah, doesn't he do always it. sucks. He does. <laughs> but, you know, he's a director. Yeah, and I know. He, he can wants do what he wants to do. So it's like, you know, M. Night Shyamalan was kind of riffing on Alfred Hitchcock to kind of throw back. You know, Alfred Hitchcock put himself in his movies. M. Night Shyamalan would every once in a wow. while. But, you know, Alfred Hitchcock was smart enough not to speak. Alfred Hitchcock was smart enough to make it a camp, like a brief scene. True. Yeah. And unfortunately, in Night Shyamalan, because he was in Lady in the Water, horrible. Whew. And Tarantino's bad in this, but it's kind of like I can dismiss that because I'm kind of like, oh. I'm know, glad whatever. it wasn't a longer scene. And the fact the way that his role ended was actually kind of hysterical. Exactly. So, you know, and yeah. they didn't do a bunch of freaking close-ups on him like they did yeah. with Jonah Hill. I, True. So I can forgive that. I mean, yeah, that, right. is kind of, that is kind of a groan moment, though. Yeah, I'll give you that. it was a little it's tough. kind of a groan. I actually thought this was his most emotional film, too. Um, I actually found myself... Honestly, emotionally invested with Django and his wife, Uh, especially some of the scenes with his wife, some of the treatment she was going through while at Candyland. Honestly, we're, you know, for a Tarantino film, we're pretty emotionally gripping. Um, And I think I'm thinking mainly about the hot box, you know, the the scene with that. That was actually downright traumatic in a way. Yeah, and I I think, you know, Kill Bill Volume 2, where they do a little bit of father mother that's and true that was, thing. that was that was kind that of interesting was for him. that was kind yeah. of a divergent thing but yeah you're right this that was interesting some emotional territory yeah. that he usually doesn't get into true a high point for me um that came and it was one of the few things that i felt like the Django character was actually had a chance to kind of work through some mm-hmm. stuff was when he's confronted by King Schultz when they're headed to Candyland and he's kind of being a little bit of a badass, I guess. Mm-hmm. And King Schultz is like, Hey, you're drawing too much attention to himself. And he then calls on King Schultz. He's like, wait a second. You remember when you told me about how to become a bounty hunter and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. He's like, well, now I'm getting my hands dirty. And that kind of, that to me was an acknowledgement of like, yeah, some stuff, some messed up stuff has to happen. And here it's happening. And, and I thought in a way, too, that this movie's been maligned for violence, which a lot of his movies mm. always are, but coming after recent yeah. current events and shootings. And it things, was tough timing on that. It was, yeah. it was bad timing. Yeah. And I think I don't feel like Quentin Tarantino. He has violence in his movies, but I think he, he owns up to it. He doesn't yeah. make it glorious. And I think the fact that that Django character kind of says, like, yes, this is dirty. We are killing people. This is happening. And I feel like that's a fair way to kind of lay it out there. And I don't feel like he's gratuitous because there's a scene with a dog fight or a dog mm-hmm. attack and he cuts away from it and doesn't let us see it. But he has some dialogue between uh, candy and yeah. Django going back and forth later in the movie. They do show a little bit of it, but it's still very brief. Well, I was actually, I was actually going to say, I think that's another reason why I think this was maybe his more most mainstream film yet. Cause there were two scenes where he could have gone all out. Oh yeah. The, the dog attack. And then there was a sign of the uh, Mandingo fight yes, at the Candyland. Which was pretty, 
brutal, brutal, but and could have been so thank much you worse. For mentioning the Mandingo, yeah. because that's something else that uh, a lot of people were also. There's some people upset. You know, Quentin Tarantino throws the N word around oh, like crazy. But I think that was also tying into the the culture at the time. Yes, you know? yes, yeah. and I think that's just that's also his style of writing yeah. and everything. But to bring up the Mandingo fighting and to have that in there was a very interesting commentary because it's like just that whole concept of having people fight and fight to the death. And maybe he didn't intend this, but I like to think he did because it was some symbolism that I'm not really used to seeing in Quentin Tarantino. The Mandingo, the African-American slaves are fighting and the Mandingo fighting. And at one point, a turn in the fight happens and a dish of candy is knocked over and kind of Hmm. spreading everywhere. And it's kind of like, okay, people, this isn't going to be something pretty and everything. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be real. Hmm. And you're going to have stuff, you know, upset the candy dish, which happened. Yeah. And that happened. I was just like, wow. Okay. And it Hmm. it made it real. And you wanted to kind of turn away. And I think he he puts it in your face because it's not just some cool gunfight, which we do have a very violent gunfight towards the the movie. But he's making you realize what violence is. And I think it's passing stuff off as I think you're doing the movie a disservice if you just pass it off as being. Nothing well, I, but violent. I completely agree. I've never thought that there's argument, Willie. Really, there's violence for violence sake. And yes, Tarantino is a fan of violence. He's a fan of showing, depicting violence. But there's always something else going on. Right. It's not just let's see how many cool action scenes with a lot of heavy violence we can put in a row. There's there's something else to it. And yes, the the gunshot, uh, the the gunfight towards the end is a very long drawn out. A lot of violence, yes. a lot of blood. Yes. But at the same time, you know, you, I felt like at that point I was invested enough to know why it had to end like it did. Sure. There was really no other way for it to end by that point. So I really liked the film. There again, coming off Inglorious Bastards, I can't be honest and say that it wasn't a little bit of a step down for me. But you know what? I mean, if it's second runner up to Inglorious Bastards on the, the, the movie chain for me, I'm okay with that. It's still a great film, great experience. I will say the one thing, too, for me about these last two films in particular that have really been interesting is they're both spoken and, and, and focused on a, a demographic group that I'm not a part of. Hmm. You've got the, the idea of the Jewish revenge with Inglorious Bastards. Sure. I'm not Jewish. Uh, you've got Django with the idea of revenge and retribution and kind of going against the people that were doing such horrible, despicable acts to African-Americans and the slaves. I'm, I wasn't one of those either. So I just thought it was really interesting how he is able to make me in both of those films completely understand the need for that idea of revenge and retribution for these horrible, despicable things that are happening to these people where, you know, yes, I can read a book about slavery. I can see other films and understand the plight and feel the anguish. He's just got a habit of knowing how I can, he can really put me in the shoes of these characters. And there again, it kind of goes back to the violence. I mean, remember the violence was happening first by these people oppressing the people. I mean, it was the white plantation slave owners who were having the Mandigo fights, who were sicking the dogs on the slaves. So the violence was not unjustified. The violence was not just for the sake of violence. There was a true pent up anger and frustration about where they were. Same thing happened in Glorious Bastards. That's why even that violent ending in the movie theater in that one was completely earned. It was completely, you know, you were cheering for it. And I think to make you feel that way about a a race and a a type of person that you don't belong to was really, really uh, impressive. There's something specific to the more I'm thinking about it at the end with the gunfight when some people are getting shot. There's one particular shot where there's a corpse that has the person's already died. 
and they keep showing bullets hitting it. Yeah. And they did it more than once. Oh, yeah. And they kept kind of repeating it. And at first, I, I got a year to, I was like, okay, this is gratuitous. This is ridiculous. But now that I'm reflecting on it, it's kind of, again, in a way, pushing your face in it. It's mm-hmm. like, here's the gunfight. It's happening. But we're not just going to show you wide shots of people getting shot and falling down. No, we're going to put your face in it and we're going to not rub your nose in it, but in a way, I guess so, and make you realize that this is violence. So I, I don't know. I kind of yeah. respect that. more. It irritated me at the time, but I guess I can respect it a little more now. I well, I, I love what he's just done these last two films with this idea of this revisionist history where yeah. let's take a really horrible, horrible aspect of our, our history in this world and let's turn it on its head a little bit and let's see kind of a what if which I like thinking of as a what if, what if, what if the people who really, you know, needed that, that retribution and needed that were able to get it. And I I love that concept and something about, I've actually read that he's planning on a third film in much the same style to me. I'm like, go for it. Knock yourself out. If you want to pick another horrible, horrible period of our history as a world and turn it on its ear and show us a different angle. I'm ready for you to do it. I, so. well, I'm glad to hear that. Cause I'd heard, you know, internet rumors don't believe them, but I'd heard that after f- finishing this film that he had supposedly said that he was considering doing TV and not doing movies anymore because he didn't want to have to put up with like red tape and all this kind of stuff and turn around on TV was better. And I was like, that would be such a shame. I mean, granted he'd make some interesting TV, but it, cause his vision just really seems to be in film. And well, so I'm glad to hear that he's got supposedly that's up. the hurt. Well, I've heard and I'll tell you this money this movie's making money for him I think it's already his biggest grossing film really I think it's already Better passed than Inglorious Bastards I believe so wow now I could be wrong on that I haven't checked the numbers but I think it's already passed 100 million and gone really really well wow now if that's the case I think he's probably gonna have to worry a lot less about red tape going forward if each of his films keeps building from a box office standpoint and getting more acceptance and more openness and I do think there again this is I think a little more of a mainstream film for him little more each film kind of creeps a little more towards a mainstream mentality but yet still has enough of his tarantino style to make it fun and interesting so to watch. maybe we could be another step closer to him doing either james bond or yes. a superhero movie yep which i'd be very open he to could do unbridled because he's gotten so much money he proves yeah. that he's got huh i think i think it's a good thing for all of us in the film community when a director like this gets box office success and it grows and grows. Cause all that means is he's going to keep making movies True. and he's going to have a lot le- more freedom on where he goes with them. And that's only a good thing for us. Agreed. So I love the film. I thought it was great. Not as good as Inglorious bastards, but still really, really good. You liked the film and you know, sounds like you recommend it. You, you enjoyed it, but you had more misgivings with it than I did. I think we're on the same page, but then we're on completely different books as far as Sam Jackson's performance. <laughs> <laughs> the one performance we didn't talk about was Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, yeah. I wanted to get back to that. Yeah. Um, I thought he was really good and I enjoyed seeing him play a bad person, oh, yeah. which I have to run back in my head to think, but I don't think I've really ever seen him play a bad person. I and can't I actually, think of it. Oh, I know what I wanted to, I know what I wanted to point out. You mentioned how you thought Stephen was really creepy. Yes. And I thought, on the other hand of that, I thought DiCaprio was really creepy. Oh, they both were creepy. And he always had this simmering, like, I'm going to blow up and go nutso on you. 
and like when he had a conversation with Stephen about some things that were occurring, something Stephen had picked up on, and he was kind of like, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, he was just, the way he handled everything, I was like, wow, he's really boiling under yeah. the surface, about to explode. Something else that was really creepy, his sister, I believe, is on the plantation, mm-hmm. and that whole relationship, which there, again, I think kind of a very stereotypical, it's the South, and like, I have my sister there, but I'm doting on her a lot. Yep. A lot of odd, interesting oh, it was subtext a, going it on. It was a daring role for DiCaprio, and, and I, I applaud him for taking it. I yeah. applaud him for taking it. You know, you're playing a very despicable yeah. There's no plantation owner. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing. There no. was nothing good about you him at all. You don't look good. Your teeth are rotting. You the look bad. only thing that he's got that you could claim is something that at least some rationale for who the character he is, is you get the sense that he's part of the family business. Mm-hmm. The family business was given to him and it was already pretty rotten to begin with. He feels this need to continue this family tradition and business as despicable as it is. Wow. That's the only thing you get out of his character. But I mean, there's enough there to chew on and to have fun with. I think so. Uh, he does simmer most of the time. It's a very creepy performance. He does get his explosive scene uh, at the dinner table uh, towards the end of a dinner scene. I don't know. It was really good and very daring. Uh, somebody of his caliber to tell him that you're going to play this type of character that looks this way, acts this way, behaves this way, possibly has some sort of weird relationship with your sister. You know, it, it, it takes a it takes an actor who's willing to let his defenses down and play that and confident with what he can do with it. Now, it was, it was fun to watch. One um, kind of like my parting parting comment. Uh, no spoilers, but there is a character that dies and I was genuinely taken aback. I, I know who you're talking about, and yes, did. I agree. And I, and that's an emotional level that I don't think I've hit. I know for a fact. There's been I've been surprised, maybe in Glorious Bastards, at some of the things that happen in the conclusion of that film because you're saying it's kind of history altering. Mm-hmm. But that was more of a surprise. This was like genuine sadness <laughs> for yeah. somebody I don't oh, know I for a make believe character. I know exactly but who you're talking like, about. And I was just like, no, no, no. Surely that didn't really just happen. Mm-hmm. So. I'll I'll leave it at that. Yeah, no, I'm with so. you. That was that was tough. It was a tough scene. It was a tough death. I know exactly who you're talking about. Uh, okay, so again, wrapping up. I loved it. Chris liked it. Yes. Uh, either way, you need to go see it if, if you're interested in Tarantino films at all. Go check it out. Let us know what you think. Was it his best ever? Was it uh, far down the list? Where did it fall? We'd love to hear from you. Okay, since I think we just talked about that film for probably a good 30 minutes, <laughs> uh, we're going to take a really short break, come back, and then we're going to talk about a couple movie news items and close out with our recommendations for the month. Stay tuned. Foot Candle Films. We'll be right back. Main Cellar City Club, Hickory's premier music venue, is the place to go for music events, wedding dinners or receptions, company retreats, reunions, and more. Contact Main Cellar at 828-345-6246 or find us on Facebook and Twitter for all your entertainment updates. And we're back with Foot Candle Films. We had just finished our reviews in the first half of the show of Hitchcock and of Django Unchained. Now it's time to switch gears a little bit. We're out of review mode. <laughs> we're going to talk about some movie news. This is where I like to comb the internet and find some interesting movie news items or things and see if uh, I can get my, my co-host here to respond uh, on anything interesting here. Uh, a couple things going on in the film community. Here's one, Chris, I was, I, I'm honestly just very curious about. Okay. So I've seen a trailer for a film uh, just in the last week or two. I didn't know anything about this movie beforehand. Okay. The film's called Movie 43. Okay. Have you heard anything about this? It's randomly assembled. I, I, no, I just it, know it's supposed to be really raunchy. I it's think. a 
supposed to be an extremely raunchy comedy, but it's an ensemble comedy. Okay. It is actually directed by multiple teams of people. Hmm. So it's individual segments okay. stitched together to make this outrageously raunchy film. Okay. Now, that on the surface doesn't seem too out of the norm. I mean, you know, putting together raunchy comedy films. But listen to the cast. Okay. Richard Gere. Interesting. Emma Stone. Okay. Liv Schreiber. Hmm. Hugh Jackman. Elizabeth Banks. Chloe Moretz. Gerard Butler. Huh. Naomi Watts. Okay. Kate Bosworth. Kate Winslet. Okay. Chris Platt. Halle Berry. Wow. Uma Thurman. Wow. I mean, Sean William Scott, Justin Long, good gosh, uh, uh, Johnny Knoxville, Terrence Howard. These are all in this movie. It's interesting. And as I was watching the trailer, I honestly thought it was a joke. (laughs) I'm like, really? Halle Berry, Hugh Jackman, all these people, Naomi Watts are in this, Kate Winslet are in this raunchy, over-the-top, gross-out, gross-out sex comedy. But no, it's absolutely true, and it's actually being directed by... Who the director is? Well, it's a whole bank of people. Elizabeth Banks is actually one of the directors who's a comedy actress and has done a lot of things. Uh, She's on 30 Rock. She did Wet Hot American Summer. Okay. All these. And she's one of the directors. We've got um, Griffin Dunn, who, if you recall from, he's an actor, but also done uh, directing in the past. The name sounds so Um, Oh, gosh. What was the film with Melanie Griffith? Um, Anyway, I'm I'm drawing a blank. But anyway. He's kind of a director and uh, actor from the 80s, did a lot of comedy there. Okay. One of the Fairley brothers. Okay. Seems like a Fairley brother. Bob Odenkirk. Oh, really? Yep. Okay. Brad Ra- Brett Ratner. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's a very eclectic group. Yep. Of- from Bob Odenkirk to Brett Ratner. Yep. That right there. So supposedly this film was made actually like two or three years ago. Really? But I think it was made over a long period of time because not every actor was available for everything. Sure. And because it was individual scenes, they could just stitch it together later. So it seems they don't really, there's not a through line. It's I don't know. Just That's what I'm not sure about. Montage Um, movie. Okay. Very curious about this, only because you know to see when you see a trailer up on the screen, Hmm. and you see all these high caliber actors, Oscar nominated and winning actor and actresses, and then it's like this outrageously vulgar comedy. I don't know. Kate Winslet in a Fairly Brothers type vulgar comedy. I'm really kind of curious about that. I'm curious. Is it summer release? Uh, I'm not sure offhand when it is. It's a January release. Really? I think it comes out later this month. Huh. Okay. Uh, which is another thing that kind of concerns me about it is that if it was made a couple years ago, it's finally got around to being released and it's just now being marketed two or three weeks before it's release. Right. It's not always the best sign for a film like that, but sure. um, I'm interested. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's the one thing that you want to watch and see what the first reviews look like. If all the reviews start to come back really horrible, you know, this thing was a stinker and you just uh, <laughs> probably shouldn't have never been released. So. Sure. Very interesting. I just thought the concept and the cast involved with it, very, very interesting. Uh, The other film I was going to talk about, which I was very curious about as well, I love sports movies. Um, I'm a general sports fan. I'm not a rabid sports fan. I'm not block off my entire weekend to watch sports. I like certain 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 sporting events, and you know I've got a few favorite teams I follow pretty pretty rigorously. When it comes to sport movies, something about sports movies just. They just get me. We've got a movie coming up pretty soon here called 42. And this is the film about Jackie Robinson. Oh, not about Douglas Adams and the answer to life, the universe and everything. No, but I knew that was probably going to be one of your responses. <laughs> and by the way, did you notice what I did? The last movie I talked about was movie 43. This one is called 42. Whoa. Yeah, I know. That, that's I'm pretty good, cool. huh? Yes. Okay. So the life story of Jackie Robinson 
and his signing of the Brooklyn Dodgers. It stars, stars Chadwick Bozeman, which I've, I've never heard of, kind of a newcomer, which I think is great. If you're yeah. going to have somebody play Jackie Robinson, that's the guy to do it. But Not Harry, Jamie Foxx? That's no, kind of surprising. I know, I know. <laughs> but uh, Harrison Ford is in the film, and he actually plays uh, uh, Branch Rickley, uh, who is the team executive for the Dodgers. Hmm. So he has a pretty substantial role in the film. Interesting. Now, let me just kind of open that up to an open dialogue. You really don't like biopics a lot of times. I don't like biopics. So mm-hmm. I'm a con- little concerned about this because this is going to be a conflicting thing for me. Right. I like sports movies, but I don't really care for biopics. Right. So I want to see how this goes. Mm-hmm. But then you throw in Harrison Ford, who I have a very conflicted relationship with. Yeah, Crystal Skull. Ugh. Harrison Ford was one of those guys that I could watch any movie he was in back in the 80s, right. up until very early 90s. Then something happened. And I don't know what happened. (laughs) It might have been after Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, sometime after that point, where all of a sudden he was in some of the worst films Mm -hmm. with some of the most just stone-like acting I've ever seen. Where he just was not fun to watch. He was not fun to have. Mm-hmm. I want Harrison Ford back. I want Harrison Ford back just like I want. Han Solo back. I want Harrison Ford <laughs> back just like I want Eddie Murphy back. Those I are see. two people yep. I feel like have such great potential to be good actors or comedians or whatever they choose to be that for whatever reason have just chosen horrible films in the last 10 to 15 years. And I keep hoping every time there's a new film coming out, I'm like, please let this be the one where they get back on track. So Harrison Ford. You got any comments on that? Are you, I mean, outside of the Han Solo and Indiana Jones, I mean, do you think he's got acting chops? Are you? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know what happened. It was somewhere along the line. Like he did more than one of those Jack Ryan movies, right? He did uh, two of them. He did Air Force One and he did. No, Air Force One was not a Jack Ryan film. He did uh, Patriot Games. Patriot Games. And then he did The Sum of All Fears. Yeah, all those blend together for me. Or no. All those movies do. Something. He did two of them. Okay. Yeah, right. Yes, yeah, uh, Air Force One was another film, but okay, very but much in that joke. same okay. style. But, so, yeah, yeah, somewhere along the line in those films, that's where he kind of fell off the wagon for me. And yeah. then he went steadily down after that. Um, but I do think he still got it. I mean, I think he probably could still do it because I really liked, you know, obviously the Indiana Jones movies. I liked, well, except for Crystal Skull, which doesn't really exist. And <laughs> Yeah, that was um, a bad dream. And in the Star Wars movies and Mosquito Coast. You ever seen that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's so, a great film. Yeah, so I he's... I hope he still has it. I'd like to see him come back. And yeah, I'm I'm on the page with you with Eddie Murphy. I don't know what happened to him either because I think he's still funny. I've read interviews with him, but I I don't know. <laughs> well, if it, if you look at his filmography, he can be funny in Shrek when he's a cartoon, right? When he's a donkey. Well, look at Harrison Ford's filmography over the last several years. Right. Last year he did Cowboys and Aliens, which I never saw, but I heard was not that great. Right, I didn't see it. Um, the year before that, 2010, it was Morning Glory, which he was kind of a supporting role, and Extraordinary Measures, which I never heard of. No. The year before that, Crossing Over. Never heard anything about that. Mm. The year before that, 2008, was Indiana Jones and Kingdom of the Crystal mm. Skull. year before that, Firewall. year before that, Water to Wine. year before that, Hollywood Homicide. Whoa. I mean, it's just these are just not good or well-known movies. No. Now, here's my hope for him right now. I heard Morning Glory was kind of like a slight it was, return. It was good. I seen it. It was, I, it was a good movie. I'll okay, say I saw it. It okay. was fun, and Harrison Ford was funny in it. Okay. But it was just kind of a supporting role. He didn't gotcha. have the big did the big role. He got to play gotcha. a little showy in it. Gotcha. Here's my hopes for 2013, though. This, this biopic 42 of Jackie Robinson, that could be a very fun role for him to play. And then he's also in Ender's Game which is coming out in 2013. Really? He's playing Colonel Hiram Graff. So he's got a big showy role in that film. My mind's just blown. I need a little bit to recover. Okay. 
Ender's Game is I. Oh, you didn't even love, know it was coming no, to be as a film. I love, love, love that book. Okay, Gavin Hood is directing Ender's Game. Don't know who that is. Um, Probably should, but I don't. I can't remember what offhand he's made. Um, but they've got a nice, uh, a great young actor to play Ender. Who? who? Uh, oh, Asia no. Butterfield. Um, hold on. Oh, we're going down the IMDb path right now. I'm going okay. to tell you. He was the guy from Hugo. He was the little kid from Hugo. Oh. He is going to be Ender. Okay. Okay. Yep. Uh, Abigail Breslin is Valentine oh, Wigan. Oh, perfect. Harrison Ford. Um, Haley, Stein, Haley Steinfeld, who, if you recall, she was in um, uh, the Cone Brothers last film, um, True Grit. Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh who yeah. she play? She's playing Petra. Oh, wow. Oh, that's amazing. Bing Cat- Kingsley, Viola Davis. Oh, it's yeah, going to be good. Kingsley. Oh yeah. Okay. The casting sounds amazing. The story is, I mean, like I say, it's yeah. one of my favorite books of all time. It was spun off into a series. Wow. The only thing I'm concerned about is I don't know the director, but I know that the guy who wrote the book, Orson Scott card took forever and he kept telling them no about a movie because he was like, I don't think you can get child actors that are going to be young enough to carry it off. And like, supposedly that's why I thought it was in development hell and it would never be a movie, but that is Awesome. I think you've just made my day. <laughs> All right. Well, When's it coming out? Well, let me ruin your day. Um, the director. Oh, no. <laughs> wah, wah. Did you ever see X-Men Origins Wolverine? No, but I heard that that wasn't bad. Really? Uh, Did no. you hear that from a crazy person? <laughs> I didn't see it. I didn't see it. Well, I heard it was better than the last stand, the X-Men movie that had come it before. It was slightly better, but I that's not that. saying a whole lot. Okay. Um, it was not a good film. Okay. But that's the only thing I really... He did rendition. Back in 2007, which was Jake Gyllenhaal and um, who else was in that? I heard of that movie. Yeah. Beyond that, there's not a whole lot there. Uh, he's done okay. some other small films. So this may be his breakout. His break this may be his big film. Who knows? I'm not sure. Okay. Is it a summer release? Uh, let's see. 2013. They're looking at November. So it's going to be an end of the year. More of a so holiday. they're thinking an Oscar type thing. Yeah. It's November. Possibly. Wow. So anyway, awesome. Um, I, yeah, I knew I, I didn't know you didn't know about that. That no. automatically became my third item on our news item then. So Ender's <laughs> Game is going to be a film Excellent. coming out at the end of 2013. Yay. Could it be a return to form for Harrison Ford? Could that be the I'm role? I'm going to say yes. Okay. I don't care about the Jackie Robinson movie. I mean, hey, if it's great, great. I want him to return to form in Ender's Game. Okay. Well, there's your chance. Ender's Game has now become the Foot Candle Films film to watch for 2013. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, back to 42. I'm excited about 42. I do like the sports films. I think, you know, Jackie Robinson's story is always, is a great story to see in the, in the film. Uh, I am curious about the cast with Harrison Ford. We've also got Alan Tudyk, who I mentioned when I did the little spot review of, uh, he was in Firefly, right? He was in Firefly. He was at death at a funeral. I thought he was very funny in that. I like him in general. He's a great voice actor. He's a great character actor. So he's in the film as well. Okay. Very excited to see what happens with that sports film. Cool. 42. I think that's going to wrap us up for, for news today. So let's go ahead and move on to our last segment of the show, which is our recommendations. These are films that you can find online, uh, hopefully streaming somewhere, uh, because we know movie theaters, you know, films come and go pretty quickly, but there's a lot of films that maybe don't get seen as much as they should or we come across and really want to play up. So Chris, you mind going first? What's, uh, no. what's the film you want to share with us here? I would like for people to check out Bernie, which is uh, Richard mm. Linklater's latest. And it's based on a true story of a guy named Bernie tidy or some tide. I can't remember how to say his last name, but anyways, his name was Bernie. And it's based on a true story of a guy who worked in a small town in Texas who was a mortician and he was beloved by everybody in the community. And he establishes a relationship with this really cranky 
older woman played by Shirley MacLaine in the movie that everybody hates. Mm -hmm. And the mortician is played by Jack Black. And it's one of the best things I think he's ever done. Hmm. Um, He has a fine line to walk between being a caricature of a Southern man who likes to sing gospel music and maybe a a tad effeminate. (laughs) Um, And it sounds like it would just be this, and you hear Jack Black and you're like, oh, that sounds like a disaster. He's just going to be this, you know, bigger than life, ridiculous person. But he does it so well. There's some tenderness there. And you really feel for Bernie. And uh, Richard Linklater, he has had a very interesting career making mm-hmm. movies. He kind of does what he wants. He did uh, Before Sunrise and um, or Before Sunset. I can never keep how you say those two. But anyways, <laughs> he made those movies. He made uh, the Days and Confused. Yep. Mm-hmm. And which is also one of his like big movies. That- he is a very hit or miss director. And it's a very wide variety of filmmaking uh, genres too. So. And I wonder if um, the reason he made this movie is I believe he's Richard Linklater is originally from Texas. Okay. And I think because I know he was big into the Austin scene and South by Southwest and stuff. And I think Matthew McConaughey is also from Texas and hmm. Matthew McConaughey is in this movie as well. And I wonder if there's kind of like, it was kind of a pet project or he saw this news item as like, man, that'd make for an interesting film. And whether he got McConaughey, who was also in um, Days and Confused, kind of a star making performance to come back and do this. McConaughey's role in this is awesome. I think okay. he's pretty good in this as well. So it's, it's, well, it's a film that I recommend people check out. And one, Real quick, mm-hmm. last little thing sure. that's kind of interesting about it. In the movie, there are some townspeople that kind of talk directly to the camera and are used. Some of them, I think, are fake. You know, they're mm-hmm. actually actors portraying, you know, townspeople. But then I think some actual townspeople from the small town in Texas are in this movie and they're not playing a part. They're literally just, it was like they smashed together a documentary with this fictitious film or, you know, this film. This uh, It's just, it's an interesting idea. And I think it works really well. So I strong, if you're a fan of Linklater, I suggest check it out. Or, you know, if you're just a fan of good movies, check mm-hmm. it out. I, I can't recommend it strongly enough. I've actually heard a lot of great feedback on Bernie. And I've actually got that on my internet uh, Netflix queue to, to, to check out as well. I have not seen it yet. But, yeah, I've heard good things. Um, you didn't see Killer Joe, did you? No. That was another film. McConaughey had, he had, uh, had a good, good couple years there. Got a lot of acclaim for Magic Mike. Actually, it was considered a little bit. It was actually considered a little slight bit of an Oscar snub for not getting any kind of nomination for his performance in that. Killer Joe, I hear he's really, really good in. And now Bernie, I've also heard, was really a good performance. So I think he's kind of gone back from the romantic comedy direct that he was kind of stuck in for a few years. Claptrap. Claptrap. I think we have a a title for our episode here. Uh, Seems like he's getting in some more daring roles and daring performances. I'm glad to see that as well. So good. Well, you kind of already spoiled a little bit of my uh, my uh, pick. No, it's okay. Um, I was going to do kind of a weird combo uh, pick in that Netflix is fortunate enough to have Firefly, who you mentioned as a TV series. Alan Tudyk was is in it. Okay. Um, very short lived film uh, TV series. But the reason I'm bringing it up in a film review show is that there is a film called Serenity. Right. That came after the the TV show was done. I had seen Serenity several years ago when it came out, and I had not seen Firefly. So I was a little out of sorts with the film. I probably did not enjoy it quite as much as I could have at that point. Okay. I since then have gone back and watched most of the episodes of Firefly, getting ready to watch Serenity again. However, even without having watched Firefly, the TV show, I still thoroughly enjoyed Serenity. It's just there were a lot of parts of it that I couldn't quite piece together because I didn't have quite the background there. I think unfortunately that probably didn't help at the box office and all too, depending on seeing a show 
that was a short-lived TV series with only 13 or 14 episodes <laughs> to base a film off of was a little bit of a daring move. Right. What I'm saying is I do think if you're in the mood for 14 hours of some really good, solid entertainment, you've got Firefly as a show then you can migrate over into Serenity and you've got a great, good experience. Serenity has a bigger budget. It's very obvious than the Firefly show. Firefly was pretty low budget. There are some times where it's kind of groaning special effects wow. or set design pieces and all. But I think if nothing else, you've got Nathan Fillion, who I still think is one of the better science fiction characters we've had in the last 20 years. Barry Han Solo-ish with his depiction of uh, of the captain of the crew. But enough of an interesting twist on his character, where even though he's got the cockiness of the Han Solo, there's also a lot of other things going on in the back of his head, I think, too. Hmm. Overall, I think it's a great ensemble cast. I think it's fun. I think I love the fact that there was actually a sci-fi series on TV that was actually pretty good for a while. Unfortunately, it didn't last very long. But uh, So I'm kind of doing a combo. It's a TV series, but it's a short enough TV series you can knock it out in a week or two watching it on Netflix, okay. and then go right over to Serenity and enjoy that film. I think the two together make a really good experience. I've had fun watching them, re-watching them lately. And I guess if you're a fan of The Avengers, that's Mr. Joss Whedon. You should oh, check That's it true. Out. I should mention Joss Whedon, the writer and director of Firefly and Serenity. Uh, this was way before The Avengers. Oh, yeah. But you get some of his humor and dialogue obviously woven in. He obviously has fun with these ensemble teams where each team member has a very distinct personality and they play off each other. You see a little early signs of what he tried to do in the Avengers here in this, uh, this work there again, it's on Netflix. I think it's a great deal to be able to watch all 14 episodes and then watch the movie shortly after and have a great experience with that. A lot of fun. So good. Okay. So that's our show for today. Wow. We covered a lot and uh, some great long discussions. Hitchcock, Django Unchained, check them both out. We both strongly recommend them. Uh, some of them stronger than others uh, between the two of us. <laughs> some movie news. We got the movie 42 and the movie 43, <laughs> both coming out sometime <laughs> this year. And talking now about Ender's Game is now our big one that we're going to be watching throughout the rest of 2013. So with that, we're going to close out the show. Uh, as always, you can learn more about The Mesh at themesh.tv. That's our podcast network of all of our shows and episodes we put out. Go back and listen to any back episodes of this show or any other shows we have. Please help us out on iTunes and hit that subscribe button whenever you see our show. That means that every time we put out a new episode, you get it automatically downloaded to your iTunes account and without having to be prompted or go search out the episodes when they're available. We want to make Make sure you get these episodes as quickly as they come out, especially because a lot of the times we're reviewing films that may not be in theaters for a whole lot longer after we've reviewed them. So True. you need to kind of hear this as soon as it comes out. So go subscribe to the show. Help us out with that. If you got any questions, comments, ideas for us, drop us a line at info at themesh.tv or just go to the Mesh website and uh, fill out the contact us form and get a hold of us that way. And then our film society, Chris and I have a film society here in Western North Carolina where we host film screenings once a month and have some great dialogue afterwards. That's at footcandle.org. You can see what our schedule of screenings coming up is and learn a little bit about our membership uh, situation as well. So with that, we're going to wrap it up. Chris, as always, take care. Thanks. Have a good weekend. Good seeing you. And uh, hopefully we'll see everybody or see each other at the movies soon. Hi, guys. Take care. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com.
You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.